If you'd like to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're just looking together at uh, part two of living biblically courageous life. And uh, before we get into that, I just feel um, quite prophetically stirred about something. I just want to do this now before I forget. Um, some time ago, John Bearden uh, said to... Where are you, John? Oh, there you are. Um, said to me, he, uh, he sent a word through to me to do with uh, something he felt an emphasis God wanted to do amongst us in the coming years. And two of the particular things he mentioned were to do with uh, the new generation of children's work. And another one was to do with worship or to do with music. Uh, and I just feel, um, I mean, we've been served so superbly by uh, Ollie and Alice and the two bands. Um, and I just feel there's something... Um, fresh and new uh, about what's coming out from us musically. And I I feel quite just stirred that there's something God wants to do in the arts uh, through us in the coming days. I'm old enough to remember being in a a parachurch organization years and years ago when we used to use music in kind of evangelistic kind of concerts where you'd bring non-Christians to and they'd, they'd hear Christian music and then that would be a way, uh, you know, a way of communicating and then with, with word following. And then very much, things very much went into sort of worship uh, into church life and renewing worship in church life and all that's been very good. But I, I feel there's something God wants to do that somehow blends the gospel with worship uh, and uh, increasingly, I think, a sound that may come out from amongst us will catch the attention of people who don't as yet know the Lord and will provide a cultural hook into their hearts over which the gospel can more easily travel. Music itself is not, the own, is not all that's necessary. Truth has to be conveyed through lots of different components, but I feel something to do with the arts, to do with music. I feel to do with the arts we've been seeing, uh, painting, all kinds of stuff. I just feel I just want to stir those of you who are involved in the arts, in the broadest sense of that word, that I think there's a signature sound and a signature thing that God wants to do amongst, uh, amongst us. So Morris had mentioned that to me as well, about a signature Sound and I've loved some of the new songs and some of the arrangements of familiar songs. And I just want to say, just keep stirring that creativity because we've been looking for ways of just being able to get some of the songs out, uh, and we're looking to try and find a way of doing that into amongst the churches and beyond our own churches. So I just want to pray, Father, that uh, you would begin to stir the arts amongst us as vehicles for the gospel, all the different ways that that can be presented into the cultures represented here. We want to ask you to breathe upon uh, creativity. Lord, we pray for sounds and songs and arrangements and paintings and all kinds of poetry and all kinds of things that catch the attention of our culture and build bridges for truth to be conveyed more easily into a skeptical world. Lord, where there are pockets of influence that as yet are untapped, would you give us uh, 
would you give us cultural context and cultural connectivity, uh, particularly, Lord, into some of the cities where we are working and some of the areas of creativity where we're working geographically. Lord, open up doors for us so that we start to be able to be courageous in the arts in a new way. And I pray for everyone who's involved in the arts in any way, uh, either here or amongst our churches or listening on live stream, watching on live stream, Lord, would you release fresh waves of gospel creativity? Uh, Lord, we think of uh, William Booth and the Salvation Army who just looked what are the popular tunes of the day and they took the music hall tunes and put Christian words to them and it went like wildfire because people knew the sounds, they loved the sounds, and they learnt the gospel by singing it to a tune they knew. God, give us a similar thing, we pray, amongst us. Let there be sounds that come out from us, that people who don't know Jesus are attracted first by the sound, and then are introduced to the truth. We're asking you, Lord, to do something really, really unusual, uh, that is kind of not something we thought of before. I believe you want to do that, Lord, and I pray that courageous uh, arts will be felt and seen and heard from amongst us in the coming days, we pray in Jesus' name. Shall we amen that? We believe, Lord. Will you do that, Lord? Yeah. feel better. No, I got that off my chest. Right. So, one Corinth, uh, sorry, not Corinthians, Colossians 1.24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages, and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Father, I pray you will help us in this last session just to, um, to hear maybe some things that we've heard before, but it's no trouble to us and it's safe for us, as we've heard. But Lord, we pray that there would be just some final bits of this little, pe this little section of the jigsaw that you're beginning to start that will propel us with, with wisdom and will propel us with confidence and with understanding and with insight into what it is we are about to embark on. Uh, Lord, in some ways, we can uh, associate a little bit with Paul and the early disciples who were facing often new seasons of completely new things. We feel like that, Lord, and so we pray that what Paul was able to draw upon to help him at that season, uh, you would help us draw upon it together. Please help me, Lord. I, I, I need your help just to do this so that, it's, uh, so that you, Holy Spirit, are doing something. I, I don't just want my words, really, Holy Spirit. Do something that's beyond me 
please, because we need you very much. And we, we submit our hearts to you. I submit uh, my gift to you. Say, Lord, please just do something that's beyond human because uh, uh, we want you to do that so that we know that this is God that is in our midst and not just man's wisdom. Well, we pray for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, living a biblically courageous life, there are, there are four things I've kind of picked out of this that I think are, are, are uh, things to be components, components of living a biblically courageous life as we go forward. The first component is this, there is a gospel to proclaim. There's a gospel to proclaim. In verse 26 and 27, it says of the gospel, it was a mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known, and this is Paul's definition of the gospel, right? God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then verse 20, before that, he talks about the, the, the fulcrum of the gospel through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or, by heaven, or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Paul's kind of saying, look, there's a, there's a gospel to uh, proclaim. And he says it's, it was, it's a mystery that's been made known now. now. It's not a mystery anymore, but it was a mystery. Um, you can look through the Old Testament and say, well, I can't really see um, the gospel in the, in the Old Testament very clearly. Well, no, it's hidden. That's the point. It's a, it's a mystery. That's why the prophets were longing to say, well, I don't really understand it. They knew, they knew something was coming, but it was, it was hidden. But now, it's a mystery that's been unveiled. It's like, the, like and I pulled the, the cloth off the notice to quit thing. What was hidden has now been unveiled. Everyone can see it. That's the gospel. But there's a few things to do with the gospel, and I want to just talk about defending it a little bit, just defending it. So being courageous, living biblically courageous lives does involve proclaiming a gospel that was hidden is now revealed, but it's actually a gospel that can come under attack and can be distorted and, and, and watered down and changed. And we've got to, we've got to understand that there are, there are some battle lines being drawn uh, and culture will always try and nibble away at the gospel. It's not always like a straight, full-on attack. Sometimes it's just nibbled away, and before you know where you are, you're left with very little. There's things that have to be defended. And, and, uh, and it's not wrong to talk about fighting for something, you, you know, defending something. I'm very interested in a quote by Bob Roberts recently, where he said... Uh, Apostolic leadership is not just about multiplication, but it's about endurance, satanic attacks, spiritual warfare, false prophets, wolves, persecution, sacrifice, personal suffering from obedience. I've not seen any chapters on any of that in any apostolic books, but it's all over the New Testament. Are you ready? I thought, yeah. That's not going to sell many books. <laughs> But there's something to be fought for, isn't there? I mean, part of the thing of courage is we're going to need courage because there's something we're going to need courage for. Part of that is defending the gospel. And it's, it sometimes exercises you. 
how you defend things that you think, well, I don't want to say this in a way that doesn't, that gets misunderstood. And you, we need great, great, great wisdom, do we not? Wisdom to know how to say things and when to speak and when to keep quiet and when to engage and when to just wait. And there's, there's all manner of things. And I, I, I think when we look at how the, the early church navigated things and how Jesus navigated things, they were... They were very, very dependent on the Holy Spirit's wisdom to know when to speak, when not to, what to say, how to engage. We, need, we don't just need words of knowledge and words of wisdom in meetings where we kind of can pick someone out and you know, God does something. I mean, that's great. I'm not against any of that. I tell you where we need the words of knowledge and the words of wisdom is when you're in the boardroom or when you're in the, uh, in, you're in the political arena or when you're making statements like I'm about to make in this arena where you think I really need to know the wisdom of God and the insight of, insight of God as to how and what to say. We need to be spirit-saturated spirit people, not for the meetings, but for out there beyond the meetings. So it's not human wisdom. You know, we just, we know, do I engage with this? No, I'll wait. It, it takes courage to say nothing. But then there are times when you, when you think, no, now is the time to speak, to go toe-to-toe with a, with a, with a Goliath. And, and I just want to say... That, as we begin to engage more and more with the culture around us, and God, not for our own sake, but I do really pray God gives us more influence. Now, I mean that for the right reasons, because the gospel needs to be proclaimed. And if nobody knows that you exist or you've got anything to say, then no one's listening. So we've got to... Paul was ambitious for the gospel, and it was finding the right arenas and things of how to say, no... I think there are, there are lots of things that we, we I mean, haven't got time to go into many of them, but I'll just pick a few things out. I, I think there's something here, Lord help me to say this rightly. Um, God chose to make known how great amongst the Gentiles are the riches of his glory. The great glory of the gospel, which we've already been celebrating in previous sessions, is one new man in Christ. Yeah? Now, hear me very carefully. God has not finished his plan of salvation for Jewish people. He has not. He, he, he still is going to bring about a great turning of Jewish people to come to Christ. I believe Romans teaches that quite clearly. So Jew and Gentile together become something completely new. Completely new. And what I fear is happening in our world at the moment is there is tribalism on all sorts of sides. It's coming economically, it's coming politically, it's coming um, spiritually. Where, uh, and this is, I'm not trying to be political, I'm trying to be theological. The gospel is about one new man in Christ. So whether you're Jewish, whether you're Arabic, whether you're European, whether you're African, whether you're Asian, your background is of no consequence or influence to your status in heaven or your, or your inclusion into what Christ is doing now upon the earth. Christ is building a temple on the earth, not with hands. So whether there are temples built in 
uh, Jerusalem or anywhere else, let me say this very clearly, that is not what the gospel hinges upon. It is not the gospel. Jesus is coming back for his body. We are his temple. All men and women, slave free, any tongue, tribe and nation being caught into this one new man in Christ. I love, would love the day when we're planting churches into Israel, but I also want to plant churches into Palestine. All right, Because there's one new man in Christ that God is bringing up from the earth. That is not political, that's theological. Because when we start tampering with that, we tamper with the very gospel. Jesus is coming back for a bride that is going to fill the earth from every tongue, tribe and nation. That's what he saw, that's what the Bible is promising. And somehow we have to stop the gospel being politicized. Are you hearing me? Because it is not a political thing. There are no such things as, Christ, as Christian politics. There are Christians who are involved in politics. It's a different thing. And we are, I am nervous that even the term evangelical is being robbed of what I believe it to mean. Now, we may well find the tide going out on all that and we have to find new terms to define what we are. And I know I'm treading on all sorts of eggshells. But there's no point calling a conference courage if you're not going to say what you think you have to say <laughs> and hope you won't be misunderstood in what you're trying to say. But I, don't, I do not want, neither do you want, the gospel to be politicized so that when you say you're a Christian, people immediately think that that means you've got certain political opinions. That is a satanic attack on the very essence of the gospel. Is it not? Glad you agree with me. The other thing I think we need to just watch when it comes to the gospel at this moment is... Um, ah, Lord, help me with this. Because there is such an emphasis on um, God's love for people, which obviously is the emphasis, it's like if you go to your doctor and you're not well, and he looks at you and he knows you're not well, but he says, ah, you'll be all right. Uh, he's not really serving you very well, is he? And somehow, we, to help people through to adoption and the fatherhood of God, we, we really do have to let the gospel confront people with their sinfulness. Because the truth is this, you and I hate anybody being in charge of us. We hate it. We will not submit to anyone telling us what to do. Least of all, God. That is exactly why the Garden of Eden went wrong. It's the first sin. It remains the state of rebellion that every human heart is in. And the gospel puts a mirror up to that and shows us that we are all rebels and need to repent. Yeah? And actually, that is an act of kindness to show someone, no, it's not that Jesus will 
make you feel better about yourself. We have to feel worse about ourselves before we can feel better. It's, it's understanding. We, by nature, are objects of wrath. Now, where it's gone wrong often is the way it's communicated. It, comes across in a, it can come across in a very legalistic, hard way. We've got to be winsome. Jesus was winsome, but he was very straight. And it's just learning, courageous. Being courageous with the gospel is learning how to be really winsome to help people just kind of understand, actually, this is a mercy to me that God has shown me. I'm a rebel at heart, and I need to, I need to bow the knee to Jesus. And it's not accepting Jesus into my heart as if I've got another accessory. Like, oh, I've got a car, I've got a house, I've got a job, I've got a partner. Oh, no, I've got Jesus as well. I've got the whole lot. That's not... That's consumer Christianity. Christianity is Jesus saying, I am Lord, bow before me. I mean, is that not the gospel? No, we've got to present that in a way that, you know, wins. But that is the gospel. So there's, there's a gospel that's got to be proclaimed. And the, other, the last one I'll just make on this point is, is the authority of Scripture. I mean, Billy Graham, when he passed away, it, it was so often said, oh, he always said, the Bible says, the Bible says. And I'm so thrilled for that man's life of example. But something made me think, why should that be considered exceptional? Shouldn't we all be saying the Bible says? And often when we engage with controversial issues of our day, the stuff that's going on at the moment, and people say, oh, your opinion with it, da-da-da, and, and we get accused of all sorts of I, My opinion counts for nothing. Neither does yours. It's of no consequence. All I want to be able to say is, well, with, you know, with great humility, I believe the Bible, and the Bible says. You could, by all means, say the Bible's rubbish, say you don't believe it. Please don't think I'm just giving you my opinion. I'm just saying I believe the Bible, this is what the Bible says. So it's learning how to actually engage in very big issues, particularly to do with gender, redefinition of marriage, and all the stuff that's going on that's very, very hot out there. The way, the way we must engage with that is by love, by humility, by winsomeness, but also taking ourselves kind of out the picture and say, well, you know, with, with great humility, I, I believe the Bible, and the, you know, the, 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 Bible, the Bible says this. So it's for you to weigh what you think about that, but this is what the Bible says. We've got to become more, more comfortable pointing people back to Scripture rather than just giving an opinion, yeah? It's, a, it's, it's the way we navigate some of the things we're having to look at at the moment. So there's a gospel uh, to proclaim. Next thing is there's a purpose to achieve. In verse 25 he says, uh, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. See, God has given something to each of us. He has entrusted us with things that he wants us to do for the benefit of serving others. It's like the parable of the talents. Everyone in this room, everyone watching these uh, videos, everyone on live stream, anyone who hears what I'm saying, 
who knows and loves God, you have been saved with a purpose in mind. There are gifts and abilities and callings, stewardships. There is a stewardship God has entrusted to you. Now, the parable of talent says, well, some got one, some got five, some got ten. We've all got different measures of grace. It doesn't mean anyone's more important than anyone else. It just means some might be more, some carry more responsibility than others. But that, that's not something to, to, to long for if, you, if that's not what God's got for you. You know, we've all got something that fits. We've all got something that really fits us. And God's given us something, but it's for the benefit of other people. It's not personal self-fulfillment. It's for us to serve others. Because it was given to me, Paul says, for you. It wasn't given to me for me. So there's no point going through... I mean, if we have all these courses, you know, finding your destiny or finding your gift or fulfilling your dream. No, it's not for you. Find it, yes, but find it so that you can fulfill someone else's dream. It's, a, it's given to me for you. All of our gifts are for the exclusive benefit of everybody else. And we get the joy of playing a part in being a partner with Jesus in his mission. That, that's, the, that's the buzz. We're, we're on Team Jesus. I, I love it. I love being on Team Jesus. I do. I, I enjoy his company. I, do. I love partnering with him. I feel I'm in this together with him. That's, that's enough for me. I'm sure it's enough for you, isn't it? That's just to feel, do you know what? He's not like a department head who said, here's my instructions, I'll be back in three months to see how you've got on. He doesn't treat us like that. He says, come on, let's do this together. It's fun. It's fun working with Jesus. There's a little bit of banter. There is. I love a bit of banter with Jesus. I do. He dares me. And I say, all right, I'll I'll dare you back. There's... Why should he calls me a friend? That's what I would do with a friend. Don't, don't, let's not take away his humanity so much that he's always like ethereal. He's a man. He likes, come on. It's a, but it's a stewardship given to us for other people. We're partnering with Christ and his ambitions. Now, the odds are overwhelming. The task is huge. The personal cost is high. No one in history has ever advanced the cause of Christ without daunting challenge. It's never happened. So it's a good job that whatever he asks us to do is his idea, not ours. And I'm frequently saying to him, frequently saying, well, you asked me to do it, so you knew what you were taking on. I'll I'll give it my best shot. But if it all goes pear-shaped, I know who to blame. Because <laughs> I can't be anything other than who I am, neither can you. Yeah? So he, he's asking us to do something that... So feeling vulnerable and constantly out of your depth is exactly where God wants us to be so that we partner with him. He's not left us with something. Next, move on quickly. There is a price to pay. Verse 24 says, I'm filling up, this is, this is a tricky one, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. And you think, well, when I used to read that, I used to think, well, how? Jesus died on a cross, that's pretty afflicting, and there's something lacking in that. 
How do I fill that up? And I think, well, that's not what it means. I think, this is just my own reflections on it, having tried my best to study it, I think what it means is this. We are now going through what he would go through if he was still now on the earth. So his afflictions for the sake of his church went up to a certain point. He then goes to heaven. We are now filling up what is lacking in his afflictions to gain his bride. So we are enduring, engaging with, behaving like, speaking as Jesus would do on his behalf as his ambassadors, which is what the Bible says we are. We are filling up what's left lacking in the afflictions of Christ. So we're walking with him, partnering with him in things that he would do if he was still here now. The things that Jesus would do if he was still now, we have, we have been entrusted to do on his behalf. And that includes sufferings and afflictions. It's part of, part of it. In, verse, uh, in chapter 2, verse 1, he said, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. I read a quote recently of a, from a Turkish evangelist who said, you know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> and sometimes I think this sense of sharing in his afflictions means we should feel what he feels. Uh, we, we often talk to people about being discipled and we say it's about being Christ-like. And when we say that, we can mean, or we can be we're given to mean, that we're talking about behavior. Be, be Christ-like in how you behave. And yes, that is, of course that is true. There are, there are things to put off, things to put on in terms of how we behave. But actually, what about if being Christ-like is not just to do with behavior, but it's also to do with feelings? What about if it's to do with feeling what Christ feels? So, anguish, sorrowful, troubled, grieving, vulnerable, pressured, intimidating... At times, Isaiah 53 verse 11 says, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall be satisfied. What if partnering with Jesus, what if, what if this um, price to pay is actually sometimes Jesus sharing his heart with us so we feel what he feels, which involves tears sometimes. It involves lament. It involves a sense of sorrow for what we see around us. Not to be afraid of that. Andy McCulloch in his excellent book, Global Humility, says, We are servants of the sent one. Jesus' incarnation is the model for our incarnation. His vulnerability is the template for our vulnerability. His humility is the prototype for our humility. His pain is the pattern for our pain. That's beautifully written. There's something about this price to pay which really is filling up what Christ began but is now entrusted to us. And then lastly in this is there is an empowering to receive. In verse 29 um, it says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. 
Uh, Hendrickson, in his commentary on this section, says this, and I just want you to just listen to this. He says, A question that's often been asked was, how was it possible for one man, Paul, and that man with a thorn in the flesh, even with the help of fellow workers, to accomplish so much? How on earth was that possible? The answer is contained in the words of Paul himself, striving by his energy, working powerfully within me. Day by day, yes, even moment by moment, Christ's enabling spirit was at work within Paul's entire person, bestowing strength upon body and soul. Do you know, none of us is capable of what God wants us to do. None of us. David Tripp, I'll give you another uh, quote, says, If you read your Bible carefully, you will understand God doesn't call able people to do important things. Abraham wasn't able. Moses wasn't able. Gideon wasn't able. David wasn't able. The disciples weren't able. The reason for this is that there are no able people out there. They just don't exist. God did not create human beings to be independently able. He designed us to be dependent. It is not a sign of personal weakness or failure of character to feel unable. The reason you feel this is because it's true. And so often we, we measure the task that we feel God's called us to do by what we feel we can do. Well, we're never going to win that logic. And Paul said, I struggle with all his energy. I mean, he, wasn't, he wasn't meaning I'm struggling like and his energy, his energy is like some sort of enemy that I'm, you know, I'm wrestling with it. And of course, this is hard work. Now, what he's saying is, I'm struggling for you, and I'm energized by him. I've got this turbocharged Holy Spirit rocket enabling me to do something I'd never be able to do myself. That's how Paul was able to achieve all that he did. He had Holy Spirit turbochargers fitted. And so do we, if we will just let Jesus turn them on. There's not, there's, we, nothing we need, he has not provided. He's just looking in the right place for the right rocket fuel. And being able to come back to God day after day after day and say, Lord, I can't do this, but I know through you I can do all things. That's why Paul said, through him I'm able to do all things. Now, he doesn't mean all things I can imagine or think I want to do. He's saying, everything you've asked me to do, I'm able to do. I am able to do all things that you've asked me to do through Christ who strengthens me. You and I are able through Christ. We are able to plant churches all over this nation. We are able to plant a church in every nation of mainland Europe. We are able to open up different continents on the globe, playing our part in, over vast distances, planting churches, reaching... We are able because we will be struggling with his energy working powerfully through us. If I did not believe that, I would not have wasted your time bringing you here.
If God has invited us to participate with him in a global plan, which he has, then he will equip us to do a global job, which humanly, oh, I can't do that. No. But through him, we can. Feeling weak, feeling vulnerable, feeling there are so many reasons why you've picked the wrong person is good because it keeps us dependent. When we move out from dependency, immediately the Holy Spirit says, well, when you're ready, we'll start again. You know, it's just, he just does, he, 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 he will never follow our self-confidence and say, ah, now you're getting it. Let's take the stabilizers off the bike. At last, I can go somewhere else. It doesn't work like that. In actual fact, I would say the more God takes you into, the more you will feel unable and utterly dependent on him. You'll spend more time on your face than you will at your desk. If, in fact, if you are spending, and I speak to myself, if we are spending more time trying to solve it than we are flat on our faces saying, God have mercy, we need to think. Because we can't do this unless he comes with mighty, rushing, Holy Spirit power. And that's what Paul knew. He knew that it was possible. So when Paul was uh, in Macedonia and he said, you know, I don't want you to be uninformed of what happened when we got here. God, yeah, everything was going wrong. We even felt, we felt like we wanted to die. We were just pressed here, pressed there. And he'd done it because he had a prophetic word to go there. And he gets there, and it's all gone, all gone wrong. And he said, but this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. There is, there is no other ground. There's never going to be any ground. Now, there's a lot of mysteries in life, and we wonder, well, why has this happened? Why, is that happened? why am I like this? Why do I? If only God would just fix that little thing or that big thing, I'd be so much more effective. We, all, we can all think like that, don't we? We all think, if only just sort that out, I could just really get on with this. No, you couldn't. You'd be, we'd be so dangerous. We'd muck it all up because we'd do it ourselves. We wouldn't be dependent. Jesus won't share his glory with anyone else. And he did it by being dependent on his father. He modeled a way of doing humanity. He showed us this is how you live. I only see, do what the father gives me. By the father I can do these things. You know, he, he showed us something. And it's so countercultural. Andrew Murray says, at the very root of all Christian life lies the thought that God is to do all, and that our one work is to give and leave ourselves in his hands, in the confession of utter helplessness and dependence, in the assured confidence that he will give all we need. He will give us all we need as we begin this next part of the journey. Murray again says, I pray, I pray for you, take time, ask the Holy Spirit to give you to realize the unspeakably solemn place that you occupy in the mind of God. He's planted you in his son with the calling and the power to bear much fruit. Accept that place, look much to God and to Christ and expect joyfully to be what God has planned you to be, a fruitful branch. 
I believe that all of us should be looking into the future of life as God gives us, however many days God gives us individually, we should look into the future of life and say, by the grace of God, I am called to be a very, very fruitful branch. Because we are. But it only comes through absolute dependency on Him. So I'm just going to I'm just going to pray for us. Um, it feels like the Lord's done so much uh, in just a few days. Um, one last little quote that I meant to say, just from Hudson Taylor. I you can't not quote Hudson Taylor. Many Christians estimate difficulty in the light of their own resources, and thus they attempt very little, and they always fail. All giants have been weak men or women who did great things for God because they reckoned on His power and presence to be with them. We've got to reckon there is a lion with us. So whenever we feel intimidated and enemies loom large, we just point behind us and say, I'm with him. <laughs> right? <laughs> you got a problem with me? Talk to him. I'm not going to take you on. You want to take, take, take him on. That, we've got to become good at doing that. So no, I, I, I'm too weak, I'm too small. But uh, I'm not coming toe-to-toe with you, but I'm with him. You need to know that. So, Lord Jesus, I just pray that uh, all the different things, Lord, that uh, you want to do as a result of this conference, Lord, there, there are more things. There are bits of jigsaw that you haven't even, well, you've tipped them out of the box, but you haven't put them in the pattern yet. Uh, but I believe there's a whole load of jigsaw bits, Lord, that over the coming next years, you're going to start putting people and nations and church, you're going to start slotting things in place and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be really beautiful. And I pray, Lord, for an empowering as we kind of come into land and these days together, I pray for uh, an empowering that comes through your Holy Spirit, and not through us kind of, I don't know, whipping ourselves into, up into some kind of, yeah, can-do attitude. No, Lord, deliver us from that. Deliver us from that. We know that we can do it through you, but we can't do it ourselves. So we, Lord, let that be the DNA, that we celebrate the strength that we have in Christ. There's no limit to what we can do in you. I pray for every single person now, Lord, Every one of us, Lord, will you strengthen us in our inner being by opening our eyes to the great resources we have in you. Lord, everything you've got on your heart for us to achieve, we can do through you. Everything, Lord. Every nation you want us to touch, we can do this through you, Lord. Paul said, I've got an ambition to reach places where the gospel hasn't gone. Lord, we've got that same ambition, to play our part, Lord. So I pray that you'd help us in these coming days, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.